Hey there, I'm Kotz and welcome to my office for the special Sunday morning. It's Easter Sunday. Happy Easter, and if you've been coming to church for a while, or if this is your first time coming to a church, um, you, you're probably familiar with the Easter story. Basically, on Friday, Jesus was crucified, he was killed, he was murdered, and then three days later, when they rolled open the tomb, his body was missing. Instead, they found some linen there, and the people who were there to check out the tomb, they saw these two guys sitting there saying, hey, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? Now today, what I want to do is I want to focus on the things that happened immediately after they discovered that Jesus was alive. So here we go. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to eleven and to all the others. And by eleven, they're referring to the eleven disciples of Jesus. There was twelve, but one of them kind of betrayed him and kind of got lost. Now, if you're wondering who these people were, you know, the people who found that the tomb was empty, well, they give you a list in the very next verse. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now, if you think it's weird that these men didn't believe these women, well, it turns out 2,000 years ago, that was pretty common. Back then, they believed that the testimony of a woman wasn't worth anything. So it makes sense. The response is pretty common back then. But there is one disciple who said, you know what, maybe we should listen to these women. And that was Peter, the oldest disciple. I mean, after all, this is what Jesus has been teaching them for three years. Treat everybody equal. So if the women are telling a story, it's important for them to listen, especially if they are a follower of Jesus. So Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lining by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. So let's focus a little bit on that last part. It says that Peter went away wondering what happened. I mean, he knows what happened. Jesus told him a few times that, look, he's going to die and on the third day he's going to rise. So he wasn't wondering what actually happened in front of him. He was wondering about his significance. He knew something special just happened, but he just didn't know what it meant. Oh, what's that? Oh, you're looking at this. Yeah, this is a cheeseburger from In-N-Out. And if you're wondering what this is doing here, it's actually an object lesson. No, it's not here to make you hungry, although it could do that. I wanted to point out the fact that this is probably the best cheeseburger I've ever had from a fast food restaurant. Five Guys has nothing on us. This is the premier cheeseburger. I mean, this thing has everything I like. It has a fresh beef patty, it has American cheese, fresh tomatoes and fresh onions, fresh lettuce, and butter toasted buns. So when you bite down on it, it's soft on the outside but crunchy on the inside. And that spread they put on there, oh, it's perfect. 
Now, this burger here isn't just delicious, it gives me life. Now, I wanna point out something interesting about this cheeseburger here. You see, because everything that you see in this burger at one point was alive. So take this tomato for instance. This tomato at one point was alive. It was connected to a vine, which was connected to uh, uh, the, the stem and the roots that went into the dirt. This tomato was alive until a farmer came by and plucked it from its life source. And then it started to die. But before it died completely, in and out got it, they chopped it up and put it in this burger. Same goes for the lettuce, same goes for the beef that at one point was walking and mooing. Uh, they were all alive at one point, and then it was cut up from its life source so that it could give me life. In order for me to benefit from this burger, everything that you see in here had to die. In other words, death begets life. This concept of death beginning life is true all around us. I mean, think about the leaves on the trees. In the springtime, the, the green leaves come out, and then in the fall, they all wither and they die and they fall to the ground. They become part of the soil and that soil gives life to the next season of trees. Or think about the worm that gets eaten by a bird and the bird dies and it becomes part of the soil. And then the grandchild of that first worm eats that dirt and gives it life so that it could give life to the bird and so on. We like to call this the ecosystem, but keep in mind, the ecosystem is totally dependent on this concept of death begetting life. This cycle is true in food, it's true in plants, it's true in nature, and it's definitely true in our lives. So here's an example. For the past year or so, we've all been going through this thing called a pandemic. And in the height of the pandemic, which I'm hoping is behind us, we started labeling a group of people as heroes. We're talking about people like doctors and nurses, grocery workers, teachers. Some of these people put their lives on the line so that we can have life. I mean, I was reading article after article about some medical workers who, in caring for other people, contracted the coronavirus themselves and died. I mean, every day these guys go to work, they're placing other people's lives ahead of their own. And when we hear about these stories, it resonates with us, like deep down in our hearts, regardless of your religious background or your ethnic background, it all touches us in the deepest parts of our hearts. So for example, you probably heard stories about a person who probably gave up their own organs so that another human being can survive. We hear that story and we're like, wow, now that is amazing. Or maybe you've been humbled by a person that you know, a parent who gave up everything that person had for the sake of the well-being of their own children. You see, these stories, they move us because the idea of death begetting life, it's woven into the fabric of the world that God created for us. This concept, it's true environmentally, nutritionally, elementally, relationally, and spiritually. Yeah, Easter is the day that God sacrifices life so that we can have life. It's the day where all evil, they threw their worst punches at Jesus, but the more they attacked him, the more life he poured out. Now, if death kept on punching Jesus and Jesus kept on pouring out life, that means that death didn't have any more power. In other words, Easter, is the day that death was defeated. Life was poured out all over humanity that day. Now, in the story we just read, we learned that Peter, the oldest of Jesus' disciples, at that very moment when he discovered that the tomb was empty, he had no clue the significance of what just happened. But I'm sure that in the next few hours of his life, the next few days of his life, he did some reflecting and something came to his mind, like a little flashback. And I believe that flashback is in Luke chapter nine. The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed 
and on the third day be raised to life. What he taught in Luke chapter 9 is exactly what Peter just experienced in the last three days. Jesus was killed by these powerful people, and on the third day, Jesus rose again. Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So let me paraphrase what Jesus just said. He says, guys, one day I'm going to die. But I want you to pay close attention because you'll note that my death will bring new life. If you are my followers, then that means by definition, you're supposed to do what I just did. So wait, Jesus, are you telling us that we also need to be crucified and die on the cross just like you, and then we're going to be raised to life on the third day? And Jesus would say, no, 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 that's not what I meant. He uses the phrase, carry the cross. This phrase basically means that you're no longer living for yourself. That now, from this day on, you're going to be living for others. You know, like the medical professionals and the grocery store workers and the teachers, every day they went to work, they were basically dying to themselves. They were carrying their cross. They're basically putting other people's well-being ahead of their own. They were being extremely selfless. And then Jesus says this, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Here Jesus is saying, you know, life to you is going to start shrinking and shrinking and shrinking if you make your life all about you. But if you want to make your life bigger, expanding, then he says, I want you to live for God. Live like Jesus, who lived for others, sacrificing for others, was generous towards other people. When you make your life about caring for the people around you, then your life starts to expand. Another way of putting this is, if you're trying to hang on to the life that you have right now, just make it all about me, then you're going to lose that life. But if you are generous and you give your life to the people around you, then you're going to gain life. So you could imagine, Peter was looking into the tomb and he was like, where's the body? Okay, there's something important that's happening here, but I just don't know what it is. He's walking home and his, the gears in his brain is starting to turn. And as he's thinking about it, the light bulb in his head gets brighter and brighter and brighter and he realizes, wait a minute. When God lays his life down for the sake of many, then life is being poured out to the world. And likewise, as his disciple, I need to carry my cross. I need to do things that are selfless so that the people around me can have life. Now, as I was reading through this story and processing this in my head, I came to this one question that was maybe from God, maybe, maybe it's a question for you also, uh, and it's a profound question, which is, where do you want life? And the reason why this question is so profound is because, in a way, the place in your life that you need more life is exactly the place where you need to die. Or in other words, it's the place in your life where you need to carry the cross. So for example, maybe it's relationships. Maybe you're doing fine in every other part of your life, but your relationships are not doing so well. And you're like, God, I need some more life in this part of my life. Then perhaps today God is telling you, well, it's time that you die to your need to be right all the time. Or maybe he's saying, maybe there's pride in your life that you need to die to because it's hard for you to say you're sorry when you're wrong. Or maybe for other people, it's maybe you need to die to the part where you feel like relationships exist just for you and not the other person. Maybe God is inviting you to carry your cross, to die to that part of your life where you always assume the worst in other people. Everybody's different. Maybe you need to die to a part of your life where maybe there's some addiction. And by carrying that cross, you might find life on the other side. And let me tell you, carrying your cross is difficult. It's super hard. I know from personal experience, and some of you probably know from your own experience. Because dying to self, to become a living sacrifice, it means admitting defeat. You know, when Jesus was carrying the cross, 
when he's carrying his literal cross, people saw him as admitting defeat. But in actuality, what it was doing was it was leading him to life. Carrying your cross is difficult because it also means that you have to let go of something in your life that you've held onto and is a part of you for such a long time. You're worried that if you were to kill that part of yourself off, then you would no longer be you. I mean, what if I'm never the same? Is God going to be able to restore me after I lose that part of myself? Well, let me tell you this first. God is not interested in resuscitation. He's not interested in reviving the same old life that you carried before. He's interested in resurrection. Resurrection means he's going to give you something brand new, a new life. We all have to trust that the life that's on the other side of the cross is a better one than the one we have right now. Now, what we have to remember here is that we're all part of God's creation. We're all part of his world where death begets life. And we all have to believe that these ingredients, every single one of them had to die for me and it was worth the death that they experienced because it was giving life to something that's greater than them. So on Good Friday, when Jesus laid his life down on the cross, we have to ask ourselves, Jesus, are you putting your trust in your Father that by laying down your life, the life of the Son of God, that you believe there's something better on the other side of that cross? What could be better than the life of Jesus? And I could just imagine Jesus smiling down from the cross, looking at us saying, you know what's greater than my life? You know what's worth giving up my life for? All of humanity, you are worth dying for. One day, all of you guys are gonna be able to accomplish even more than what I was able to accomplish on this earth. So may God remind us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave also lives in us. And church, may you carry your cross daily, be a living sacrifice every day so that we can all bring life, new life into this world. And may we all experience heaven together. Happy Easter.